Aggression is one of the last dirty words in our culture. You can be crass, you can be rude, you can even be profane, but ho, ho, aggressive, don't be aggressive, except it's wrong, dead wrong. I promise you nothing of meaning and transcendence will come into your life passively. It's time for you to get into the arena to push back against a passive, mediocre existence. I'm Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. Welcome to The Aggressive Life. This is Brian Tome. Today, we're going to get aggressive. First, let's recognize the aggression that's happening in our culture and specifically the unhealthy aggression. Is it me or are we more divided than we have ever been as a country? And it is so stinking easy to just hurl insults and to hurl jabs and to, and to throw punches at somebody who thinks different, who votes different, who looks different, who acts different. And we got to recognize this is not good. It is not good for our culture. It's not good for our own personal sanity. We have got to do the aggressive mood of stepping out of our echo chambers. Yes, the people who you live with, the people who you talk with, the people who you drink with, they're just like you. That's why you're with them. You are average of the people who are in your circle. And whenever a topic comes up, you're probably all in alignment and you're just kind of stupefied that someone thinks unlike you, that someone acts unlike you. And we need to not be aggressive in our rhetoric with people there, but we need to be aggressive with our empathy, aggressive with our presence in going to people who are not like us, talking with people who think different than us, spending time with people who do things that we wouldn't do. If we had more of us, Stepping outside of our echo chambers and stepping into the world of people who we are different than, we actually, we not only would have a lot better world, there, there would be entire news organizations that would go out of business because they live on the vitriol that we have for one another, on the unhealthy aggression that we have for one another. I want you to be aggressive, positively aggressive in every area of life and positively aggressive relationally. So enough of the preamble. Let's actually get to a model of what it looks like to aggressively interact with somebody who's different than you today. We have Chris Seelbach with us. You might ask, who is Chris Seelbach? Well, he has been a Cincinnati council member since first being elected in 2011. Chris recently has gotten married, and he is the first openly gay Cincinnati city council member, and he was married to his longtime partner, a good man who I've uh, who I've gotten to know a bit as well over the last few years. He grew up in the Catholic Church. He's done a lot of work in, in the way of equal rights for LGBTQ uh, Cincinnatians. In 2013, Chris was named by the White House as a National Harvey Milk Champion of Change for his commitment to 
equality, and public service. He's also named one of the 100 most powerful people in Cincinnati by Cincinnati Magazine in both 2018 and 2019. Here he is, real, <laughs> right now, in our place, Chris Buck. How are you? Welcome, brother. I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Good, good for being had. This is called The Aggressive Life. I just went through... A list of Chris's accomplishments. If you noticed, uh, the, the accomplishments at least I, I named were were LGBTQ plus in nature. Is there is there the plus now? I'm still getting used there to the Q. Plus. The plus, yeah. What like what, can you tell me what letters are coming that I have not been aware of yet? The next after Q is I and A. So so you already have it mapped out, or that's the official? No, that's, that's the official. LGBTQIA. Now you do recognize for people like me, this is getting confusing. Mm-hmm. What is, what is what is I and A? I is intersex, and A is both ally and asexual. Ally and asexual. Mm-hmm. What is what's the difference between ally and asexual? Well, an ally is not an LGBT person. An oh. ally is my my parents, oh. who are straight people who support LGBTQIA equality. Totally dig that. I I thought this was like ally sex. Like, is this like Amer- <laughs> Americans and English people having sex together or something? I was not. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> okay. See, so so Chris obviously lives in this world. This is a very important thing to him, obviously as well, because you're gay. I first time I met you is we had, um, I, I had a lunch. I don't know if you remember. Mm-hmm. I had a lunch for Cincinnati, um, elected officials just to get together and at say hello Nada and downtown and not a downtown. Yep. Uh, I, I paid for it. There wasn't any sunshine laws that were being violated. We had no city business that we were talking about at all. And, and I just went around and had people talk about the thing I think was most they're most proud of or the hardest thing they did and, and you said, Yeah, when you when you came out to your parents. Take us back to that. When did you when did you come out to your parents? Talk if yep. you don't mind, talk about your just uh your your sexual story. Your, your <laughs> well, per- I mean or maybe not your sexual <laughs> story, your, your your personal story and how your sexuality is played yeah, into it. Yeah, I mean, it. because you know, sexual orientation is is absolutely not about just sex. Uh first and foremost, it's about love, right? And if we kind of did a, a graph of the amount of time we spend having sex versus loving another person. I mean, it's exponentially more about love. Um, and My wife would say, especially, it's exponentially <laughs> more. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. I'll let you if you want to. But um, And you said that, you know, this is so important to me. I, I wish it wasn't. You know, I wish that I um, hit puberty, discovered that uh, my sexual orientation was uh, gay and was able to date people that I found attractive and eventually find someone to marry and have a family and and move on with my life. Um, it's only important to me because uh, it didn't go how it should. And when I came out the day after I graduated high school, my parents asked, said to me, please tell us you're not gay. And I've told this story many times, but we, we didn't talk uh, almost no contact for 11 years after I came out. Um, so I moved to Cincinnati without knowing a single person with um, basically my entire family abandoned me, you know, did what most people do when they, you know, hit rock bottom and and have no support from anyone. And, and that's make a choice. Either you kind of feel sorry for yourself and, and you know, you live as best you can or you pick yourself up and, and say it's up to me and I'm either going to make something of myself or not. And so um, I went with that attitude that I was going to, you know, it was up to me to either get through this life. There's a quote that I'm using more often, which is you can't change it. You got to... If you can't fix it, you got to stand it. And so, you know, I did that for a long time. And I went to Xavier 
Uh, started the first gay-straight alliance at a Catholic university there. Can, um, can I pause just for a minute? Yep. You said people in your family when you came out uh, – Abandon you, hurt you? Could, could you just just help those of us who are who are straight have a little empathy and understand like what does like what did that look like? You don't have to tell us everything, but like give us. So something I'm an there. only child, and my parents were amazing parents. Um, they uh, are loving, committed, have been together for since they were 15 and 16. They're 64 and 65 now. My dad just retired. And, you know, my dad was my Little League coach. Uh, I was in all the sports. He was the coach of all the sports. My mom was a stay-at-home mother most of her life. Uh, and then she went to work once I got into later in schooling. But she was the den mother. Um, they did everything for me, and they were amazing parents. Uh, and they felt like they did everything right. They deserved a child that was going to uh, marry someone of the opposite sex and have kids. And... Um, you know, live the life that they expected their child to live. Uh, and that why would they be punished with a gay child when they did everything right? And, you know, uh, they wanted to send me to counseling, which I agreed to after I came out. And the counseling ended up being uh, conversion therapy. And I don't think they knew that it was going to be conversion therapy, but they knew it was a Christian counselor. And, you know, it's probably the the... What has impacted my life the most is that summer between high school and college when I was sent to conversion therapy where you have a medical doctor. So someone licensed by the state and the government and who's gone through so much schooling, someone that you believe you should be able to trust, telling you that there's something wrong with you, that you probably have a personality disorder or low hormones, and they want to do all these tests to prove that you know, there's something wrong with the fact that you love someone of the same gender, of the same sex. And so as an 18-year-old, it was uh, incredibly traumatizing. Mm. Uh, and not only having this medical doctor, but then my entire family, uh, who I was very close to, um, all standing on the opposite side of who I am. And, uh, you know, it, it was devastating. And um, do, you, do you have family members still today who are estranged from you? Uh, no, I, uh, <laughs> my, uh, my uncle is the founder of the Louisville Tea Party. And so we have an estrangement, but it's not necessarily <laughs> just because of my sexual orientation, yes. uh, it's for a number of reasons. Um, but no, I mean, and you know, most of my family wanted to support me, but they didn't want to go against my parents. And so they didn't want to kind of make that stake in the claim of, you know, I'm sorry, you know, we're going to lose our relationship with my parents, because we want to stick up for you. They didn't have the courage to do that. Uh, and so it went 11 years before uh, my parents and I were able to reconcile. And uh, as you can imagine, you know, not having your parents or your family for 11 years, and I'm an only child, and I moved to Cincinnati without knowing a single person, it's it's difficult. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it kind of defined whether I was going to be this kind of average uh, middle-class kid from Louisville, Kentucky, or if I was going to try to make something of myself. And it really sparked that kind of passion to, you know, and I think goes back to why this is important to me. Yes. Because it sparked that passion that kids like me deserve to just have a normal childhood, regardless of who you love uh, or who you're attracted to. And, uh, I, and, and, and also shouldn't have to consider suicide um, because... 40% of LGBT people commit attempt suicide in their lifetime. They shouldn't feel the pressure from those around them who they should trust 
to lead to the point where they feel like it would be better off if they were dead. Okay, now let, let's talk about why Chris is in here right now. Some of some of us are are really going to get schooled on uh, on LGBTQIA <laughs> LGBTQ issues. <laughs> <laughs> Two plus. Yeah. Uh, some of us are really going to get schooled on those issues today. Some of us are going to get schooled on I don't know how someone like me thinks about those issues as well. Some of us, all of us, are going to get schooled on how is it that you aggressively engage with someone appropriately who has different beliefs than you. I've used this in the last podcast as just an aside parenthetical comment, um, but our culture is too passive and people on the left are passively staying with people on the left. People on the right are passively staying with people on the right. And we're only getting aggressive in regards to hurling insults at people who think different than us. We're only getting aggressive and getting our own little amen corners and trashing on people who aren't like us or don't think like us and don't vote like us. So I believe that we need to aggressively understand people who think different and are different. I believe we need to aggressively talk, not not talk in an aggressive manner, though Chris and I have both talked in an aggressive manner with each other before, but just, just talk with one another. And I think we might be the better for it. That's the goal Especially today. off of social media, in person. I mean, it it is so more difficult to have a conversation in person where you're rude or uh, mean-spirited, but it's so easy to do that on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I just want to go back. To, you're right. I mean, LGBT equality right now is a partisan issue. 99% of elected Democrats support LGBT equality. 99% of elected Republicans don't. Real? How, Really? Oh, absolutely. Wow. However, the population is much different. The absolute majority of both Democrats and Republicans who are not elected support LGBT equality, 70, 80 percent. And so, you know, this will come, there will come a time when this is not a partisan issue, whether it's 10, 20 years from now. This will become a time when Republicans, Democrats, you know, will look back ashamed that they were on the wrong side of history. But you're right that right now it is if you are liberal, you're thought to have supported LGBT equality. If you're conservative, you'd be surprised if you do. So let's go back to where our relationship kind of went to another level. It wasn't the lunch at NADA um, (laughs) with other elected officials. It was actually social media actually prompted it. Uh, I did a series of Crossroads. My day job is I'm a pastor and preacher by day at this thing called Crossroads Church. <laughs> this is this is a nighttime gig, even though we're recording at 2.20 in the afternoon, uh, the, the, this podcast. And we did a series called Heavyweights. You ask whatever you want to ask, and we're going to deal with it. And we opened it up to the congregation, all of our different sites. And we had thousands of people who said, oh, I want you to talk about this. I want to talk about evolution. Well, what's, what's the deal with evolution? I want to hear about, you know, our angels angels real, whatever. Far and away, the most dominant question that we had was, what about the Bible and homosexuality? And I saw that one. I was like, man, I've gone there before. I don't want to go there again because I know where this goes. But in wanting to be responsive to the request of people, it's like, all right, that's the one. We'll deal with it. So I spent a good bit of time 
researching what I was going to say about this and what we did with this. And, um, and, and when I, we brought it out, um, Chris was not appreciative of what was said. Someone uh, tipped you off. I don't know if you got a recording of it, wherever it was, but social media blew up uh, that night. He and I got in a little, uh, it wasn't necessarily a Twitter war, but we had some, we were interacting with one another on social media and trying to figure this out. And I said, hey, let's, let's have lunch. We ended up having lunch. We sat down and uh, that's when our, that's when our relationship, I would say, went to actually a friendship. It wasn't necessarily a happy meeting. It wasn't like either one of us left going, whoo, I'm really glad I spent my afternoon that way at the coffee <laughs> shop. But, uh, but we left, I think, being able to at least humanize one another. Absolutely. At and least. I mean, you know, I, I will say I think you came into the, the meeting thinking I'm going to get to know this person as a person. What are you interested in? And I was just really pissed off. Um, you know, I, I, to be just brutally honest, I mean, I saw you because there's video of it performing conversion therapy on two LGBT people, a lesbian and a gay guy in front of your congregation. And look, I, I want to give you some credit because you are an incredibly influential leader in our region, in our country. You have done amazing, incredible things here at Crossroads. I support 99 percent of them. Uh, and the, the type of influence you have is very hard to come by, and I, you get all of the credit for that. And so that's why it pissed me off so much, because you're really good at what you do, and, and most of what you do is so amazing. And then to see you basically performing conversion therapy on these gay people who I felt like were victims, knowing that conversion therapy is what drives so many people to suicide, I was just really angry at you. And, and using the Bible and what I think, you know, I'm not a big scholar, but I've done some research and using it in a way that I don't think is fair and, and taking the Bible literally in some passages, but then saying some passages, we shouldn't take it literally because it basically says if you're disrespectful to your parents, you should be stoned to death, but we don't take that part literally. So, you know, I was, I was mad and uh, I think I needed to get that across because I was in, in some way representing LGBT people who were who were in the audience and left, who were part of Crossroads and never came back. And, you know, I think we all appreciate the fact that you even had the conversation because a lot of people wouldn't take that chance. Um, you did and you put it out there, but I think you knew you were going to get some reaction. Uh, yeah, that's why that's why we didn't advertise ahead of time. <laughs> we tried to we tried to sneak one by people. Yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna spend the rest of our time. Uh, we can we can we could part relive what took place that sure. day, or we could just open the conversation back up. And we're going to do that. I've told Chris as we get into uh, into this, we're not going to edit anything. So. Um, uh, yeah, we're not going to anything. It's not like he's going to be go away and now we're going to edit it and make sure that, you know, what I think comes out and looks really, really good or something like that. We're just, we're going to have this conversation, not because we really want a, a straight gay conversation to happen, though I think those conversations need to happen more often. I do. We're going to have this conversation because we're, we're really going to model how to be aggressively um, aggressively honorable, mm -hmm. aggressively, aggressively open, aggressively empathetic, aggressively, I don't know, aggressively anything. It's just the conversation we're not having. So where do you want to start, brother? What, what, what do you want? You want to rehash something from the past? You want me to restate something? Let me, let me just say this on, on the, I didn't, it's fascinating to me that you 
uh, called, I haven't heard this before, the, the two um, folks we had on stage is gay conversion therapy, especially in light of your, in your background, I had not heard your story of a year of that painful, painful um, counseling experience. So there's no definition of con- conversion therapy. That's what I was going to. What, basically, is, what, what is your definition of gay conversion, conversion therapy? Conversion therapy is a person of, of, of a leader, whether that's a psychologist or a, a religious person, as you know, Leela Alcorn took her own life in 2015. She blames her pastor, who uh, her parents forced her to go to, to undergo conversion therapy. So it doesn't have to be licensed by the state. But a person who is counseling you, who believes that you can change, who believes that regardless of your sexual orientation, they could still believe that you were born with an attraction to the same sex, but believes that you can change that or that you can, through prayer and through counseling, uh, be attracted and have a relationship with someone of the opposite sex, and then counsels you to do that. That's conversion therapy. So why would you call the two people who are giving their personal story, as much as those those two were doing, why, why is that gay conversion therapy, someone sitting in front of them and giving their, their story? Well, because you were, in a sense, saying these people who are parish, they were parishioners of yours, or I don't know if you call them parishioners. Uh, that's a Catholic term. congregants. Congregants. Comers, attenders. People that you've yes. counseled yeah. who— at one point felt that they were LGBT, and by the way, they both identify as gay at this point, but back then, they both felt that they had LGBT gay tendencies, and that through counseling with you, felt that they were able to overcome those tendencies. Oh, they never I, They never had counseling with me. I never said they okay. had counseling. They, I never I, had any counseling. Maybe that was an assumption because they were yeah. congregants of yours. What you've no. had convert you had oh, conversations. conversations with them. Oh yeah, sure. I, but I never had, I never had. Hey, um, you know, I'm gay. Help me to not be gay. I never had. I never okay. had those kind of conversation with them. So how it came across to me is that these were two people that were part of your congregation who were telling their story of how they had homosexual tendencies and they were able to overcome them through their faith. And to me, that sounds like they went through conversion therapy. So I don't want that to be a sticking point. That's what led me to be angry with you. Oh, okay. Well, you're justified to be angry at anyone like me who reminds you of people who've hurt you. That, that that's, sure. that's 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 a deficit I have in this conversation or conversations like this. I'm standing on the shoulders of a bunch of a bunch of buttheads. Yep. I'm standing on the shoulders of of people who have my position, uh, who decades ago. I'm not standing. I'm, I'm thrown on their shoulders. I'm not willfully standing. I'm, I'm willfully thrown on their shoulders of people who tried to have gay people not be able to visit their gay friends or their gay partners in hospitals on their dying days, and, sure. and fought hard against those kind of things. I'm, 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 I'm in the, I'm in the dark shadow of people who have held signs and said, "God hates f's." You know, it's another four-letter word. I'm, 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 in the, I'm in the dark shadow of people who have done some awful things, awful things in the name of the Bible and straighthood that are actually not in the Bible. So it's so that's my hard, problem. I think, to imagine, you know, we're going through the LGBT rights struggle today. So and I'm not comparing the civil rights movement but imagine if you were a black person in the 50s and 60s. And so your rights as humans 
are being debated and voted on and protested by daily. You know, when we have a pride parade in downtown, uh, which is just a celebration of a community, you know, we have to walk by people who are telling us we're going to hell and that we're sinful. You know, imagine that your family is being put into that oven and debated and voted on it's just, you know, it's something that I don't think people can understand unless it's part of you. You know, yeah. a colleague of mine who uh, who has voted against LGBT equality on council, she always says, well, we just disagree on this issue. And I'm, I've tried to, under, to make her understand this is not an issue to me. You know, this isn't right. like we just disagree on gay rights. When you say you disagree on gay rights, you're telling me that you disagree with my family. Right. You're disagreeing with the 15 years Craig and I have been together. And I don't see how you can disagree so, or not agree with my family. So here's my position, and I'd, I'd like you to um, – you, you can refute my position, which I know you will. But, but the bigger <laughs> question after I give my position is I want to hear from you um, – you can refute or just be silent sure. my position. I want to hear from you is how does someone who holds the beliefs that I believe, mm-hmm. how do I not needlessly – piss people like you off right how do i how do i keep from i mean how, how do i live people like me live harmoniously what what how can we not send cues of that are interpreted as hate or how can we not you know all that kind of stuff so so my thing and this is not news to chris um my thing is i'm not sure i'm not sure that the science is definitive that someone is born gay i'm i'm fine if the definitive science does say that, that doesn't that doesn't hurt my faith at all. I'm I, I, I'm not sure of the of the beginnings of the same sex drive. I'm just not sure. Um, I know that. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm just not sure on that. Uh, what well, I am you believe the Bible says that it is sinful. Yes, I do. That's what I'm going to next. Yes, yes. Um, I do believe I do believe that um, history is clear that the way we create life is a man and woman having sex. And that says something about our sexuality. And so I look at somebody who has same sex attraction like you, and I look at you the way I would look at me with other desires I have that aren't necessarily right. And I would, and I want to just not follow through on those desires. The Bible says that Jesus was Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. <laughs> now, a lot of my conservative people listen to this. I was hearing me very clearly. You know what that says? That says that Jesus was temp- at least tempted with same-sex attraction. <laughs> says he was tempted. I don't tempted. think that's what it says. No, it does. He was tempted in every way, okay. yet without. If, see, you're, but you're categorizing same-sex attraction as sinful, and as if he was tempted in every way, that would be one of the sins. Uh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Not not. Ca- same-sex attraction is not sinful. Same-sex. Well, love. Same-sex sex, from my perspective, same-sex sex right. would be sinful. So Actual love. Well, so for you, the sex, expression sex of love. equals love. I, boy, I tell you what, <laughs> there's a lot of people having sex who are not expressing love, mm. gay and straight. Um, so, uh, this is good. This is wonderful. Chris has already <laughs> given me his eye roll here right now, but, I, but I've interpreted his eye roll now. He's not, he's not, he didn't eye roll me. He's not. Um, so let me answer your question. Yeah. Uh, or so, did you have more? No. So, so for me, someone like me, I, I would say it's to a Christian mm-hmm. who has the same old faith that I do, not of Joe Blow out in America. I say, hey, if you want to 
have a faith that is getting closer and closer to God, there are things that you will accept about yourself that you will try to not follow through on. This doesn't mean that if you have same-sex attraction or if you have same sex, if you have sex, that you're it's the go-to-hell button. It's not that at all. It's a process of spiritual formation where we say no to certain things that God wants us to say no to, just like all, all of us do. So anyway, that, that, that's where I've been. And yeah, so what do you say to that? So I think that there are going to be a good amount of people, maybe even majority or more, who they can't have that conversation with you because just having that opinion closes the door. I yes. mean, you are invalidating their love, their commitment to their, their monogamous commitment to their partner, um, and they have no interest in being a part of that conversation and will be pissed off at me for even helping you have a platform to say what you said. Hmm. There will be absolutely— I, <laughs> So people are going to be pissed off you on this on this. One? Absolutely. Then why are you doing it? Well, because I'm not one of those people that I just said. Hmm. All right. So because we live in a gray zone and not a black and white zone, although with this president it feels more and more black, like black and white, but because we live in a gray zone, I do think— there is somewhere in the middle that I can understand that as much as I would want to change you and make you see the light and want you to use your platform in a way that embraces LGBT people fully, um, knowing that that's probably not the reality, at least not today or tomorrow, is there conversations, honest conversations we can have where we can truly understand each other in a not emotional way, but um an intellectual way of where we're coming from and why and make maybe subtle and slight and small steps towards more respect, more love. And I think we have done that. I mean, there's no question that our relationship has enabled me to be more empathetic and at minimum to say fewer stupid things that I didn't intend to be stupid. There's no question about that. Yeah, I mean, a colleague of it's it's much more difficult on politics. You vote yes or no. There's no I'm voting 51%. And so it's much harder because when people have an anti-gay voting record, it's you know, hard for me to say, well, this is a nuanced vote. Well, no, you so, you know, a colleague of mine who's an uh, African-American Baptist preacher who was the leader in the 90s against the LGBT movements in Cincinnati, um, when I was elected to council with him, you know, I knew he was going to vote no on all of the measures that I proposed. But through a lot of conversations with him, he voted no almost as a mumble. He didn't mm. preach. He didn't go on and, and give sound bites to the media. And I think that's a success to, yeah. for me. You know, he voted no. He, he voted his conscious, but he did it in a way that didn't make the situation worse. And so those types of success, I think, are important. Um, but to some people, and I respect them, uh, they wouldn't even consider. This is the challenge. I want, so This is one of the challenges I have. Chris and I, we've talked about this before. Like, if there's, if there's a sliding scale of um, 10 you were born with a straight gene if a straight gene exists and zero you or in zero you were born with a gay gene if a gay gene exists you know not that you're a zero if you're gay but you know what i'm saying that that sliding scale you know if if there, if there was a specific gene i i'm really you're in the middle right you're bisexual 
<laughs> I'm in the middle of I'd say, uh, uh, well, uh, I don't know. I, I <laughs> Big do, announcement I, today. I do appreciate the shorts that you have on. The first person <laughs> who's had shorts who's walked in. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I'm confused with this. Like, how do I help a parent who says, what do I do when my child has just told me uh, that they're gay? And I'll say, well, are they? What have been the signs? What would what, what you? And my counsel to someone who says, yeah, I've, I've seen that they've always had this thing from birth is one thing. My counsel to uh, them is different when, when they can recount times with their son specifically when they saw him have an erection at a swimming pool when he looked at... That doesn't mean anything. Why does that mean anything? I mean, so for, for, there's three things. There's your sexual orientation, your sexual identity, and your sexual behavior. Sexual orientation is something that I don't believe you can change. You're born with that. Your sexual identity is what you tell the people. I've never had an erection when looking at another man. Okay, well, but if this kid is a teenager and he's brushing up against his shorts, I mean, I don't think just because you have an erection and the parents thought you were looking at another boy makes you gay. Okay, if there was signs that that parent had, definitive, repeatable signs. Like they found gay porn on the kid's computer. Oh, uh, no, I'm, I'm going a different way. Okay. I'm going a different way. I'm saying if they've seen repeated definitive signs that they've been straight and then in a confusing time they go, I think I might be gay. That's what I mean. That, 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 that requires a different kind sure. of approach with them. I, I don't know how to, it's, well, I, I don't know how to even Bisexuality talk. exists. So they could be absolutely attracted to both uh, people of the same and opposite sex. Well, this is part of, they could be, they could be, but it's also not necessarily something that is the right thing to be. This is just one thing our worldviews are going to be separate on. I, I believe our sexuality operates uh, a way that God has brought forth that, you know, has some lines. So can I you ask know? you a question? Yeah, please. And this is because all of this goes back to a literal interpretation of the Bible that's been translated from Hebrew and Arabic and Greek. And we know that there's not perfect translations for words of different languages. For instance, in Spanish, there's no word for the word toe. They say fingers of the foot. That's how they say. So we know that when you translate the Bible from these ancient languages to English today, that there's not perfect translations of words. Right. So, but but I still understand that that some people look at the English translation and say this literal translation is how we're going to interpret it. So in Leviticus, it says a man who sleeps with another man is an abomination and should be executed. Do you think I should be executed? Definitely not. So how can we pick and choose? Which parts of the Bible to take literally? Yeah, well, <laughs> this is good. This is good. Uh, I'm looking at our clock. We're going to go longer than normal 32 minutes, and I'm having a good old time. Is that all right <laughs> with us? I look at the producer in the room. <laughs> all right. Uh, this is also one of those. I said we weren't going to edit. This is like, we have a we have a natural communicator here. We're not going to need to do any editing <laughs> with that. So anyway, so how do we do that one? Well, <laughs> there's entire courses to take in, in seminary on this stuff, which, which I've been to. So generally what you do in a passage like that is you look at the context, what's right before it, what's right after it. And you can start to go, okay, is this cultural? Is this in this time period as it go on? This one's a different, interesting one you have them because the entire context of the book of Leviticus is things that were supposed to pass away and go away. You know, that's that's the book, book, book of Leviticus. But then that passage you mentioned right before and after it is bestiality and having sex with your own family members. So mm-hmm. it's a weird one there because I think we would all say beast, 
at least I would say, <laughs> bestiality is never a good idea and sexing your own family members is never a good idea. But the larger context is also a, a book that kind of goes away. So I kind of think that teachings of which go away um, because the New Testament supersedes them. It also so, alludes to children who are rude should be executed as well. In right. Leviticus. So, I mean, right. you know. <laughs> but we've got three passages on homosexuality in the in the Old Testament, four in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So I think as you take a look at the collective whole, I um that says that says something. So. so but expand. Why should I not be killed because I have had sex with my partner husband? Right. Uh, because that's the literal translation of the Bible and all of the arguments against homosexuality come from the literal translation. It, talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean if you put that into context I mean, a way to demonize and humiliate and to uh, control uh, was groups of men having sex with people they wanted to belittle. And it wasn't about homosexuality. It was about this humiliation of of these people that that's what led to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't think it had to do with their sexual orientation. You certainly— should never be stoned and killed for your sexuality. Nobody should. And the biblical reason for that is Jesus comes to fulfill the law. So the the book of Leviticus is the law portion of the Old Testament. Jesus comes to fulfill it. He fulfilled it by going to a cross and dying. So he died for you mm-hmm. and your gay sex and me and my porn watching. <laughs> You know, he, he that which I, I, I haven't done that for a while, by the way, <laughs> uh, more recent than I, I wish, but nonetheless, um, he died for this. So that's the biblical thing. Those punishments that you and I deserve, that's, that's, that's why that's not relevant for us. Hmm. So the question, so then it doesn't come down to the punishment, it comes down to, all right, the practice. You know, what, should, should I still do the practice? And so I think, I think the, the main one in the Bible, I, I, I would say, I think the one that's the most clear to me is in the book of Romans chapter 1 and 2, where it kind of gives, instead of a soundbite in the book of Romans 1 and 2, it gives sort of a more line of reasoning as to why that is. But there's also a critical verse in there, which says, for us to not judge. But did Jesus ever say anything about homosexuality? He didn't, but he was dealing with a Jewish culture that had, that was, the Jewish law was had already dealt with that. Mm. The Roman culture had a massive you know, homosexual practices was happening. But but Jesus refused to speak to the Roman culture. In fact, one time there was a Roman that came to him and he says, no, I'm, I'm sent only to the Jews, not the Romans. And she says, well, sometimes even the dogs eat the crumbs off their own table. Mm-hmm. She said, wow, this is a good woman. So he was <laughs> refusing to speak uh, to, into politics, basically. And he didn't have to speak into that in the Jewish culture, although I'm sure that there were Jews that were same-sex attracted, perhaps maybe even in the 12 disciples, we just don't know. But he didn't have to deal with that because the Jewish culture had, you know, was dealing with that. That's your excuse for it. But there's other interpretations. That it wasn't important to him. Well, one thing we would agree, there are other interpretations. One thing we definitely agree on, and it's definitely not as important to him as some of some people have thought that it was important to him. Yeah, I, right. I'm telling you, man, our common ground is, you know, people who are gay have have been the um, easy punching bag of too many churchgoers for too, too long, and, um, and, it, and it's just awful. And I've said to you before, and I'll say it again, man, on behalf of 
all Christians and all believers and all pastors who have used verses to beat you up and to beat you down and to dehumanize you, I'm sorry. And I'm I sorry. appreciate that. I mean, I appreciate that. And I mean, I appreciate that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So let's do this. Uh, can we talk about something different? Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I think people, I think people who think like you are going to go, "Way to go, Chris! You gave it to him." And people who think like me are going to go, "Way to go, Brian! You gave it to him." Uh, no, no, no one ever wins in these. But let's just spend our, our remaining moment or so. Let's let's coach people through this stuff. It might not even yep. be. Um, the straight gay conversation, it could be the Democrat, Republican, it could be the socialism, capitalist, it could be the whatever. How, mm-hmm. how, how can we coach people on how to aggressively and lovingly speak with people? What, what's some of the tips that you have? Number one, you have to get out in front of the keyboard, outside the keyboard. These conversations are not good on social media because you people are just mean behind a keyboard. And when you have to look someone in the eye and you see them as a person and you get to know a little bit about who they are, that empathy goes a long way. And so I think one-on-one is to talk to someone in person. Um, number two, I think you have to be open to the idea that you're not going to uh, be able to flip a light switch and get that person on your side and believe everything you believe, and that there are nuances to that that are as important as uh, flipping the light switch. And so that's great. So those are two of my ideas. One of mine is remember that that person is as uncomfortable as you are with this conversation. I think we sometimes think that somebody who's over there that I disagree with, they must, you know, they've got these feelings. But when I come to them, it helps me to remember they're probably just as squeamish about this conversation as I am squeamish. And that, that helps me give them a little bit of empathy. And realize that, which is number two, which is another one for me after I realized that, which is try not to um, focus on the micros. Think about the macros. Mm -hmm. You know, the the, I just I know that I just made some micro statements that if I when I listen to the when I listen to the. The podcast, I'm going to go, oh, crap, I wish I should have said that. Too. Oh, crap, I wouldn't. And, I'm, and, and, and there were some micro things that you said right here where I'm like, you know, but I've got to look at the macro. The macro is, hey, two dudes are talking and having a conversation that weren't however many years ago. That's a win. That's an aggressive win. And, you know, as you know, three years ago, my mom almost passed away. Uh, and who was it that I reached out to but you? And it wasn't to talk about homosexuality. It was to talk about what I was going through and the fact yeah. that I needed your help. And so uh, through our conversations with people, we can develop relationships yep, that are right. meaningful. And that's they're right. meaningful outside of our disagreements. Yeah, amen. That was a special time. I was honored you did that. Um, and likewise for me, I've been interacting with you of like, okay, like what's your perspective on this? Knowing your perspective is probably going to be different than mine, but being sensitized and educated before I, you know, before I do something or go down a wrong road, wrong road. you and I have served each other, I think, well, and, and I'll just tell you, I think we've come to the end. I'm really thankful for you. I really am, man. 
Uh, I'll let you have the last word. You want to have? You want to say any last thing? No, I appreciate this, and I and I know that this won't be the stop of the conversation because we have to continue. And I do hope one day that you are preaching love and acceptance of LGBT people from the pulpit of, of Crossroads. I am love and acceptance of LGBTQ people, and, and understand not that, love and acceptance of the act. Well, that the act of loving a, a, each other through sexually is not a sin, and that it is a beautiful thing. I hope one day that I will get you there. But until then, I will continue with these small nuances. Right, and I will be a wonderful host and allow you to have the last <laughs> word on that because the point for me is this, friends. Here's the deal, man. Here's the deal. It's why it's called the aggressive life. We need more people having freaking conversations like this. We need more having conversations like this. You need to be one of the people that stands above the fray and walks across the room and talks to somebody who you're afraid of. You might not even think it, but yeah, you're actually afraid of that person. That's why you don't talk to them. You're actually afraid of that person. That's why it's convenient for you to put them in a box in terms of what they believe and what they do. Don't be a passive weenie boy or weenie girl. Don't do it. Stand up, talk to the person, lock eyes with them, have a sense of tenderness about them. You don't need to forego your convictions, but you need to be a human being who loves. Aggressively love the person by talking to them. Dude, sheesh. We do that in our country. We see the country go a different direction. All right. Hey, if you'd like to keep up with Chris, you can follow him on Twitter, which is at Chris Seelbach. C-H-R-I-S-S-E-E-L-B-A-C-H or on Instagram, Seelbach C, that is with a C. That's you did it. get the last word. I did get that. <laughs> well, not on our issue, though. Not on our issue. <laughs> That's true. All right. is, that, is that right? I agree. All right, good. All right. Thanks for tuning in today on The Aggressive Life with Brian Tom and Chris Seelbach. Awesome. Hey, thanks for listening. If this episode has impacted you, hey, share with somebody else. All of us have influence. People that can look to us for direction. Use your influence positively, aggressively. And if this has meant something to you, then pass along to those that you're leading. Uh, you can see more at bryantome.com or search me on Instagram. Special thanks to the band Judges for our music. You can find more from them on Instagram at The Band Judges or at Facebook.com slash The Band Judges. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.